1: Danny, have you been uh, watching any
2: exciting movies, Danny? I've, been, I've seen two films. One's very commercial with I can't see anyone disliking. One of them was incredibly arty, almost unwatchable to 90% of the population.
1: Okay. <laughs> what do you, which one do you want to hear about? Well, you're a true cineast, aren't you? Yeah, that's me. You've got uh, high and low brow tastes. All the brows. Um, well, just uh, which was better? Tell me that.
2: I watched Girls Trip. Yeah. Um, you know, it was a huge smash last year. It's very funny. I think it's uh, not unfair to call it like just like an African-American bridesmaids, a similar sort of thing where like four women, they were like mates at uni, they've gone separate ways. Some, you know, there's been some arguments in the past and over a weekend, this is all going to, you know, come to a head. Uh-huh. But like, just, yeah, kind of hilarious. Very like broad, really crass humor. It's a bit like, uh, you know, in bridesmaids, the scene where they like shit themselves. Yes. It's like some humor like that, which I'm a big fan of. Women can well, be fits disgusting well as well. Why not? Why not? We all shit, don't we? We all poop. That's what the films have taught me lately, thanks to these comedies. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and uh, the big breakout star is Tiffany Haddish. You can see why she's absolutely hilarious in it. There's definitely like a lot of her lines seem like ad libs, where there was like one joke and she put like two more on it.
1: So she's the Melissa McCarthy of the gang.
2: Yeah, there's one amazing like part of the plot line is is that the most successful member of the quartet who's like the sort of life advice guru type her husband played by mike coulter luke cage from the marvel oh, yes. show big huge dude mm-hmm. very sexy guy uh, it turns out he's uh having an extramarital affair and tiffany haddish like there's a bit where she just describes like the vengeance is gonna wreak on him and it's obviously all unlived and it's just hilarious <laughs> maybe i'll maybe i'll put a clip of it in why not don't worry boo i'm gonna put hands on them. i'm talking hot grits extension
0: cords, Timberland boots. I'ma fuck up that bitch's Instagram account. I'ma put two Q-tips in his pee hole and I'ma walk him around. I'ma just wipe, I'ma just swiping that thing and I'ma yank him out. And then I'ma stick my fingers up in his ass and tell him I'm checking his prostate but really I'ma yank his balls off the back of that motherfucker. And then I'ma put my fist so far up his ass I'ma pull his heart out through that motherfucker and I'ma knobby die, shifty day, that shit. Just
1: boop, 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 boop and then i'm gonna stick my fingers back up in his ass and then i'm gonna twirl him around and see if that make him giggle a little
2: bit you know because i like to make a motherfucking laugh when i hurt him you know what i'm saying
1: <laughs> very funny that's going to be when it's in the edited version of the podcast
2: so watch that i would very much recommend it Fingers on you can get it on itunes and i also watched this film andromeda strain the no sorry strain andromeda the which is the 1971 film the andromeda strain reordered so the last shot is the first shot and the first shot is the last shot so So like every
1: shot runs forwards but is structured backwards it's like memento yeah
2: Yeah, exactly yeah uh made by this san franciscan art house uh artist filmmaker called anne mcguire and it was kind of good it's weirdly compelling it's hmm. kind of, it's like it's not sort of really funny because the last like five minutes is like sort of ticking clock thing where you feel, like <laughs> pull this lever and there's like a computer voice says like self destruct in like one second and like he just keeps like, getting further and further away from it. <laughs> <laughs> and then some of the bits are just uh like have, incomprehensible. Have you
1: seen the original film? No. The correct way around? I have not. But how think... how did he select this film to give this treatment? She, Anne Maguire. Oh, sorry, Anne Maguire. How, how how did she pick the movie to do this with?
2: I'm not sure. I think maybe because the film is like uh it's kind of like this procedural and it's all about process like the plot is basically this alien substance lands in a town and kills almost everyone apart from two people some scientists come get the two survivors then go to a lab and try and work it out that's like the entire film and i think it was perhaps quite new in its day in that it was going for like a quasi documentary style not sure like a documentary but in that like there's a lot more scientific process than it's like dramatically interesting but kind of accurate right i see yeah but I think he was better in reverse almost. I mean, I can't make this comparison because there's like a lot of them like doing science stuff. And it's like you don't realize how deep the woods was until you got out of it. But if you're watching the right way around, it'd be like, this scene's going on too long. But you don't know how long <laughs> the scenes are because they're going backwards. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, at the end, like because it starts with them assembling the team and it's like, you know, the scientists are in the middle of an experiment is like, you know, the army turn up. It's like, we need you. So like it's actually the most fast-paced right at the beginning of the movie, which is the end of the reverse one. Interesting. So it kind of did speed up weirdly towards. So a cli- climax. A climax in a sort of odd way. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of I don't know. You have to be in the right mood for it, but it's pretty good. Is that the uh, close-up centre of Brook Lane, probably how, most hipster cinema I've ever been to?
1: How would you describe the mood that you have to be in for this film?
2: Just I'm in like, a real backwards kind of mood. I don't know, just in a slightly just an open mind and you know. Open heart. Patient and not not tired yeah perhaps if you're a bit sleepy going in it's got it's got i don't know it's a bit of a sort of loopy feel to it like if you're a bit you i can imagine falling asleep in it if you weren't it's not going to grip you you have to sort of engage with it so
1: were you, were you kind of prepared for it by the coolness of the cinema you're like now i'm ready to watch some weird arty shit
2: yeah everyone here was, seems pretty cool they've like the close-up center is like a uh rental shop as well yeah. and all the dvds i had no i hadn't heard of half of them i was like this place is really cool even
1: you hadn't heard of half even the dvds me and i've seen like all loads the films. i've
2: seen all the alien films all the fast I've and seen Furious, all, films. all the
1: lord of the rings films all of the lord of the rings i've actually seen all the fast and furious films no i've seen uh... don't fucking lie to me you can't you can't <laughs> get that past I've me seen
2: one two five and
1: six well that's pathetic
2: anyway sam on a complete uh Sequitur, <laughs> what
1: is the premise of this podcast? I've completely forgotten. I'm glad you asked, Danny. This is a podcast all about you. You're the center of the podcast, Dr. Moran, a man who has invented a computer microchip he plans to use to train dogs instantly. Uh, <laughs> 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 However, uh, his former colleague, Dr. Foster, that's me, has uh, other plans for the microchip. I want to implant copies in every child in order to brainwash them to come work for me after they turn 18 and be exceedingly loyal. <laughs> in the fight between uh, you and, and my henchmen, Hanky and Panky, you get injured, and uh, your dog Lenny, is injected with a computer microchip. On the run, Lenny finds his brain power growing, and when he finds a young boy, Zach, to be his friend and savior, Lenny discovers he can talk. Lenny continually amazed by the new powers the embedded microchip keeps giving him, Zach, full of unrequited love for longtime friend Becky, and school newspaper reporter Becky, out to write the story of the century, team up with a downtrodden police officer called John Wyndham to defeat Dr. Foster and his henchmen. Here's what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 2004 film Lenny the Wonder Dog, starring Andy Richter and Craig Ferguson instead it's a podcast in which we talk about and review films i'm sam foster and joining me a sort of comical madcap professor danny moran hello hello
2: on this episode of film chat we review lynn ramsey's you were never really here starring whacking phoenix in many ways it's a companion piece to joaquin's own mock documentary i'm still here in both he has massive beards Uh, both sort of feature his relationship with his father And both of a bit where he uh, goes on Letterman and just caves his skull in with a claw. (laughs) We'll also be discussing Annihilation, the Alex Garden movie which was unceremoniously dumped on Netflix for being way too smart. It's a sort of mind-bending sci-fi film about a group of female scientists entering a forest that's been altered by some kind of alien thing. Critics are calling it Bring It On Meet Solaris. They're not. They're not doing that. I just made that up. We also discussed the news of a fantastic-sounding film from the makers of Logan and roll our eyes so far backwards that we're looking at our own brains and our brains are not happy about the (laughs) latest flurry of casting news surrounding this His Dark Materials TV adaptation, all of which should give me just enough time to take up my latest film. The tunnel is deliberately designed to piggyback off the success of You Were Never Really Here. It's called You Were Never Really There. It's a portmanteau film, which consists of a series of live-action reenactments of anecdotes I've clearly made up about how I've been at these cool parties, all of which prompt the, the response from my friends, you were never really there. I brag about being at the VMAs that year when Connie was rude to Taceway, and everyone's like, you were never really there. And then I waxed lyrical about how I met Bradley Cooper at the 2013 wooden final, and everyone's like, you were never really there. And then I talk about how I got drunk with Halle Berry after the uh, Kingsman Golden Circle panel at Comic-Con. And everyone's like, you were never really there. And but, there's another 24 anecdotes. But sh- the there's got to be a
1: bit at the end where, you know, you reach down and you, you unveil a box of keepsakes and it's got <laughs> like the Statesman whiskey. And it's like, how did I get this? How did I get this? I was there. And it's got, you know, I don't I know. I was really you got Kanye there. West toe in there. And it's like, how did I get this? How did I get this? I was at the VMAs. Do you know what? He was handing them out. He's a fucking maverick. (laughs) He's only
2: only 10. (laughs) (laughs) Limited
0: edition.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Chris
2: Young and Olivia Waring both sent us a article, a fascinating article, where uh, there's this fella called Michael J. Brenner. He's a journalist. And in the 70s, he had a what he describes as a consensual sexual relationship with a dolphin. And he wrote a sort of fiction book based on that called Wet Goddess. And, oh, it's, f- it's fictional. Well, it's fictional, but based on truth. Sure. As, as much as we know. And he was also the subject of an award-winning documentary called Dolphin Lover pretty great name and so um the oscars were kind of boring and there wasn't that many hot takes to get so they just thought well who would have the best opinion about the shape of water in which sally hawkins mute caretaker has sex with like a fish man a guy who's fucked a dolphin Mm. so it's an interview with him giving his sort of two cents on the movie and the interviewer sort of quizzing him about how you know he thinks the movie might improve the public opinion around interspecies relationships yeah and it's uh, it's a very entertaining read. I do think he actually does highlight some interesting points about the movie. Like, he's asked this question, the interviewer says, a lot of people have focused almost entirely on the fact that the movie depicts Eliza having sex with this fish man. I'm just curious what your reaction to that is. To which he replies, given the course of the development of the relationship, it seems sort of natural. Although I must say, I find a dolphin a lot more sexy than that thing was. <laughs> then again, I'm not Eliza. Maybe you have to take it where you can get it. Which I think actually kind of brings to the question the fact that I think a reason the movie is that she can't she can't find an actual
1: boyfriend. So she and, has to she has settle to. for a fish god.
2: And not only a fish god, a fish god who is like, she rescues. So he's sort of like- So it's not easy. Someone.
1: That's not, it wasn't easy D to get. You've got to yeah. really fucking go out of your way.
2: The only other guy who shows oh, and it's any a bit, interest- It's a bit transactional as well. Yeah, so exactly. what you mean, yeah. And the only other guy who shows any sexual interest to her is like the sort of insane Michael Shannon character. He's evil. Yeah. What, so if you're mute, you can't find a nice... She's a very attractive, lovely woman as the film portrays her. What, are you saying she just can't find a man? Do you think
1: that, given there's a kind of Beauty and the Beast parallel, right? Yeah, sure. And in, but in the Beauty and the Beast story, there is that element does not exist. And maybe that... Do you think that film would be weirder? It would be like having Quasimodo from The Hunchback of Notre Dame Plus Beauty and the Beast or something like that, where it's like two outsiders get together, and then it just it just like emphasizes their outsider status. Yeah, and it's like, say the disabled woman belongs with the fish man; they're kind of in the same category. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All this sort of <laughs> like a uh, bit me-
2: oppressed minorities are smushed into one like weird morass. Of yeah, this.
1: that's a bit of a bit messed up.
2: I also I like this a bit later on in the interview, <clears throat> and he says, uh referencing a previous bit in the interview you said to me the fact that this one best picture that's just astonishing it just shows to what degree it is a fantasy and she says i was wondering if you could elaborate on that a little more do you think that if the relationship had been depicted as less fantastical people would have been less accepting to which he says oh yes definitely the closer something comes to be sanity in a person's mind the more it's going to be rejected in the typical case gamero carefully set up a very fantastic atmosphere for the film with very realistic elements in it like eliza's life the whole laboratory that the women work at is a is a fantastic fantasy. Most marine research labs look nothing like that, which is true. I imagine. I'm sure a lot of the good liberals who criticise me for making love with a dolphin loved this film because the hero was a featherless biped. If the <laughs> asset had been a dolphin, it wouldn't have been anywhere near as popular. That's true. Do you think Gomer DeVore pulled his punches?
1: He didn't. That's he made the fish man too sexy. Too
2: sexy and human like.
1: You could imagine having sex with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's probably true. If it was, like, a giant spider or something, the film would be a lot more odd, wouldn't it? Yeah. Or if it was, like, just a gelatinous cube or some, you know, something <laughs> something hideous. Or it was just a sort of sentient moss on a rock that sort of weeped at <laughs> you, you. know, I don't know. That would have be been much better. That's what a true artist would have done. Well, I think the best thing about this interview is that,
2: like, the guy, like, his manner is, like, I'm not a weirdo, okay, right? And then, like, just says something incredibly <laughs> weird. So... <laughs> the interview says, does, uh, Dolly was the name of the dolphin he shagged in the 70s. Uh-huh. And like, the interview says, does the fact that Dolly was a female have anything to do with your attraction to her? Do you think you'd be attracted to the male dolphins? Like, that's, that's a good question. He's like, no, I wouldn't be attra- sexually attracted to male dolphins. As an adult, I'm heterosexual, although I cross species lines. As a teenager, as I wrote about in my memoir, there was a time in my life where I was jerking off to the family dog, a male poodle. But it wasn't because I was gay, It's because his excitement got me very excited, and I found it pleasurable for both of us. If the female board had been as responsible as he was, I probably would have
1: been bonking her. Jesus <laughs> <Sorry>. Christ <laughs> this guy Just when you <laughs> just when you think maybe you get on board with him. Yeah, you're not at work. I wouldn't fuck a
2: male dog, that's insane. Surely I jerked up to a dog and I'd fuck a dog <laughs> if it was a woman. <laughs> oh my
1: goodness.
2: Maybe you know, maybe in
1: uh, twenty years time we'll listen back to this podcast and we'll think, God, how ignorant we were. We were like uh, slave owners who uh, thought the Africans were subhuman or whatever. Doesn't yeah. he make that kind of argument?
2: Absurd. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I think the bottom line is that if you, even if you fucked a dolphin, it doesn't mean you have more of insight into the film The Shape of Water.
1: Well, a little bit. Sounds like you made some good points. Although probably nothing you didn't cover in your review, and you've never fucked a dolphin. I'm just, I don't think you have to fuck a dolphin to really get the nuances. You should fuck a dolphin <laughs> and see if it gives you a different perspective on the film. Maybe gives you some new insights
2: yeah sure i'll fuck a dolphin yeah why not
1: i have to say that you know you can read into this what you like about me <laughs> <laughs> but i feel like there there's something that's more acceptable about the existence of this book than if it was a different animal i feel like <laughs> dog lover would not it just is too disgusting you know if he fucked a dog people would be like there's nothing cute about it this, like, sleek sea creature. <laughs> it's kind of cuter, so I think it's okay. Well, isn't it you the can write this thing called Wet Goddess, and it's, like, obviously gross and, you know, ridiculous, but at the same time, it's not as bad as <laughs> if it was, like, if he was, like, slug fucker or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I think it's because dolphins have this reputation of being super smart, right? So and and been... also very promiscuous. Consensual, right? Whereas if you fuck, the dogs are just, like, people, you know, they probably wouldn't know what they're doing. It'd yeah, be like yeah. being a pedo fucking You have dog. to
1: imagine that. You can you, you think it's more you know comprehensible to the human mind that a dog uh, sorry a dolphin would be able to consent to sex because they're so fucking smart.
2: Yeah. <laughs> what, what else? Super smart, like chimps.
1: Bonobo. Yeah. Or bonobo, whatever. Yeah, bonobo. But there's there's something, acceptable. but you don't want to think about this guy fucking a bonobo. I feel like the <laughs> fucking the dolphin is a somehow more acceptable image. That's my take on this anyway. Go on, sue me. Go on, uh, troll me online for my outrageous uh, bestiality views. Not at all. Well, are you with me on this? <laughs> I'm, Clive, climbing down I'm 100%, into... 100% with Thanks, you. Thanks, man. Thanks. Solidarity. Really appreciate it. Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Chamberlains film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral.
2: A while ago on the podcast, we talked about the news that the BBC were going to make a sort of lavish eight episode version of *His Dark Materials, having previously been made Well, the first book of the series, which I call the Northern Lights because I'm not American, which was made into the Golden Compass, which didn't do very well and was shit and everyone's forgotten about. Yeah. But the news that was going to be a BBC adaptation was met with some that like, could be good,
1: you know, more time. Well, yeah, exactly. They've given the full TV treatment.
2: Uh, and some news has been announced. Jack Fawn, who was a writer on skins and glue and wrote the Harry Potter play and uh, a bunch of That's acclaimed very stuff. Very in
1: demand. He's doing all sorts of stuff.
2: Doing all sorts of stuff. Is writing it. And Tom Hooper, director of King's Speech and Les Blur. And uh, <laughs> the Danish girl has been announced as the director of the series. And Lin Manuel Miranda, everyone's favorite. Triple Threat guy, the Hamilton guy, is going to play Lee Scoresby.
1: Interesting casting,
2: and uh, Daphne Keane who was the only good thing about Logan, who was the sort of breakout star, is going to play Lyra. And I discovered she's actually English. Of oh, course cool. she was Mexican, but she's just bilingual English. She's very, which uh, is pretty good casting actually. Out of all the news, I'm like, I'm, yeah, sure, she had a good scowl. I could see her as a feisty Lyra Balacqua Yeah. However, Limamel Miranda is Lee Scoresby. Is that's terrible, terrible casting. Well, it's I weird.
1: Think. I mean, I guess Lee Scorsby isn't such a critical character that you can't, like, mess around with him a bit or whatever. But you really think, given everything about him is, like, this uh, Yosemite Sam type.
2: The, yeah, I know. mean, one of the...
1: his Sam Elliott's casting as him in The Golden Compass was actually pretty good. He looked like Philip Holman had based the character on that actor, you know? Yeah, yeah. He looked like, he, looked like Philip Holman had watched The Big Lebowski or something, and then, been like, that guy. <laughs> that guy, He's yeah. a character in my film now.
2: Exactly. And... I mean, as written, I mean, who knows? Maybe they've changed it drastically. But he has to be kind of like an older guy. And Limón Miranda's like only in his late 30s and looks younger. He's quite boyish looking, I think. Yeah. And there's like part of his character is like the fact that he's like an old guy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. a little weight to it.
1: Do you think he's going to do it with like a sort of comedy southern accent? Or? Oh, God, I don't know. Or will he just rap all, a lot? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't like Tom Hooper at all. No,
0: he
2: kind of sucks. I'm really hoping it doesn't mean he's going to cast like Eddie fucking Redmayne as Lord Asriel or something.
1: I saw about I saw about half an hour of uh, his Les Mis over Christmas, yeah. and it was really hard. It was a real slog. Yeah, grim. It's so fucking grim. It's like it's like I Daniel Blake, but as a musical or something. You know, Jesus. it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like I don't know why it's supposed to be such an unpleasant watch. I haven't actually seen the stage show. I mean, I don't know if like the stage show they're all covered in mud and crying all the time, but it felt a bit like that watch the thing i was like this cannot be the most serious dramatic film of all time when it is also has constant like catchy show tunes in it yeah there's something off about that yeah maybe it just only
2: works as a musical like you need the live performers to give it a bit of
1: well in the music because you're in like the musical world and can you kind of buy into the tone of it and therefore you know you can invest a lot of pathos in like tunes that are like whereas if you're watching a movie where everything is incredibly verite then it just seems weird you know yeah absolutely it's like how do you have the energy to do these lovely songs you know you're a miserable person on the verge of death <laughs> <laughs> what do you find doesn't the time? make sense <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're real get up and go with someone living in absolute poverty <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the other thing that is slightly uh, puts me off this is because I thought it was going to be like a series per book but they're going to do all of them in eight parts which is just the same is doing free movies?
1: Yeah, that doesn't... That's... You're right. That that sucks. <laughs> yeah, why not? I like there's so much to pack in.
2: But the thing is, by the nature of what happens in the books, they're going to have to be huge, like, the effects laden. You'd need the budget of a movie to make it. So how are, you gonna, how are they going to get the money back, you know? Like, if this could just be on the beep, yeah. how much money did the night manager make for them, you know? Like, don't you need the ticket sales
1: to justify... Won't, like, every episode be budget? on a dramatically different set with, like, you know... Everything will be completely different all the time. Like, the third book takes place across multiple different worlds. Yeah. It just seems odd. All, yeah. the,
2: all the demon stuff, all the shape-shifting animals all the time. There's like a like, million
1: like, characters.
2: I'm pretty sure every shot would have to be an effect <laughs> shot. I just don't know, like, <laughs> how... You know, even on Game of Thrones money, it be pushing it, surely? I don't yeah, think.
1: definitely. Well, it is more ambitious than Game of Thrones. I mean, half those scenes just take place in halls and they're just, you know... Exactly. They're just in costumes. They sit in a room and chat. Most of the first series, there's like a couple of big bits, but for the most part, they're just in their old armour and stuff sitting around yakking away. Yeah. Most of the budget, you know... The, the reason it looks like an expensive show is there's loads of blood and, like, women get their kit off in it. Oh, yes. Yes.
2: Oh, yes, I remember. So... I'm cautiously cynical about that.
1: <laughs> yeah, that is, it doesn't. It's 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 a shame. It's a shame because it was uh, it's a great uh, it's great yarn. I basically and, just wanted uh,
2: like Peter Jackson at the height of his powers to make it. I just want like the Lord of the Rings version of those books in my head. Like I remember in the advertising for his Golden Compass, it was like the. One ring flipping and becoming the compass, and it's like prepare for a new epic. They were yeah, they were
1: so um, clumsy about it, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. It was literally had the ring, and it was like now it's the compass.
2: But you know, I don't know. I think maybe because the Lord of the Rings movies exist and they're so good, it's like you must be able to like they did it with like a hugely unwieldy fantasy tone before, and this one's got you know, loads of. loads loads of good stuff <laughs> like, <laughs> similar loads of characters loads of adventure you know they're beloved for a reason and that you know and they're very pacey like you can see them as movies i think like, well that's the thing that's why it seems to weird to cram them into
1: eight parts is that they're written like pacey adventures so you know things happen all the time they're kind of and they're kind of episodic as well yeah it's the first one's like she goes to a place has a little adventure goes to another place has an adventure there it would really suit tv like yeah, yeah. a full you know a full series treatment so it does seem like a bit of a
0: shame Find out how much at airbnb.com slash boast.
1: One of the films from last year that Danny and I did not care for was Logan. James Mangold's angry, bitter Wolverine movie. You know, the most miserable, gritty, realistic film about real problems um, in the superhero universe that you've ever seen in your life. And uh, James Mangold is circling a new project. And it sounds like hilarious. I mean I, I answered this story earlier today Because I was looking for things for us to talk about And uh, everything about this is funny It basically sounds like police squad or something Or like naked gun but like, just like not a joke Like it sounds, it sounds absurd So it's called The Force Have you read Don Winslow's The Force?
2: Uh, no I'm sorry
1: um, And it's going to be gritty uh, Birth Movies Death described the novel as Unpredictably twisty and packed with more grit Than a dozen DC films It is the best crime novel that The guy's read in years It's gritty we like the grit in Logan. It's fucking gritty as hell. It's literally set in the desert wherever there's literally grit in everything. <laughs> so this is even gonna even grittier than that. Here is what the uh, novel is about.
0: All Denny Malone wants is to be a good cop. He is the king of Manhattan North, a highly decorated NYPD detective sergeant and the real leader of De Force. It's written, it's written here with a D like that. It's written De Force. Malone and his crew are the smartest, the toughest, the quickest, the bravest, and the baddest. An elite special unit given unrestricted authority to wage war on gangs, drugs, and guns. Every day and every night for the 18 years he spent on the job with a capital J. Malone has served on the front lines, witnessing the hurt, the dead, the victims, the perps. He's done whatever it takes to serve and protect in a city built by ambition and corruption where no one is clean. ...including Malone himself. (laughs) Uh, What only a few know is that Danny Malone is dirty. He and his partners have stolen millions of dollars in drugs and cash... ...in the wake of the biggest heroin bust in the city's history. Now Malone is caught in a trap and being squeezed by the feds and he must walk the thin line between betraying his brothers and his partners. The job, the family, and the woman he loves trying to survive body and soul. While the city teeters on the brink of a racial conflagration that could destroy them all. <laughs> oh God!
1: Uh, struggling to get through that one. It just—I actually was tearing up a bit. It's very. Uh, everything's going on there. I really like the way it turns racial right at the very fucking. <laughs> <laughs> racial conflagration sounds like it's going to be delicately handled. Jenny De- oh, Malone—he's
0: a good cop, but he's also twisted. But he's uh, stolen drugs. It sounds I'm fucking so shit.
1: And here is if you if you didn't think you know you thought maybe, uh oh, it sounds like a bit silly, but perhaps it'll be uh written by a script by somebody who's like got a good handle on these things and might do a more sensitive, interesting, nuanced takes on like racial dynamics and uh, the police force. The screenplay is being written by David Mamet, described here as the legendary David Mamet, a man who may once have, you know, been a good and interesting writer, but has gone way off the deep end and became insanely right-wing in the last, like, 20 years or so. Yeah, he's nuts. He wrote some book called, I'm like, how I used to be a stupid liberal fuckhead, and, <laughs> and now I'm smart, something like that. So, yeah, it just sounds, like, it just sounds so stupid.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's so, um... It's like, there's a, there's a whole contingent of directors, which I'd, like, put James Mangold in it, and saying, like, David Ayer... And well, it
1: sounds very David Ayer, actually, doesn't it?
2: It's just like people who have watched Heat way too many times. Yeah. And I only watch my favorite movies are like The French Connection uh, <laughs> and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen movies from the 70s about guys. I'm going to make my own version. And I don't care if the world has drastically changed in exactly, the past 40 years. Exactly, That's yeah. the way I'm making the
1: movie. You can't just make some completely straightforward movie about fucking gritty cops on the job and they're a bit crooked or whatever. It's like, are you serious? Also, this sounds basically like the
2: plot of The Shield, and that ran for seven seasons. I think that maybe that premise has been exhausted. The whole, like, L.A. Rampart thing of, like, corrupt cops, such a 90s thing. Or, the,
1: or indeed the film Rampart.
2: Or indeed the film, I not think of the film, there's a lot of Rampart L.A., I believe it's called The Man Who Was Corrupt. Uh, yeah, it's just, it feels, unless there's going to be a period piece. In which it's, case, kind of, it's
1: kind of L.A. Confidential as well, isn't it? Yeah. It's all the same shit. The secret is Denny's actually corrupt No fucking shit if, think- you're, like, if you're making a thing About how the cops are corrupt The hero shouldn't be a cop They should be the bad guys Of your film It should be That's like, my opinion
2: yeah, It should be like The really straight-laced Accounting nerd Who brings them down Yes, exactly He always take the piss Out of the whole movie And then he like Gets them on the numbers <laughs> 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 Number crunches them
1: Yeah, that would be awesome My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo, she's the queen but she wants to be in radio, so she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her but she beats them in the end.
2: So Annihilation, this is Alex Garland's second directorial film after Ex Machina, which was very well received, not by me, but by (laughs) other people, The Intelligentsia, and this is based on a book by Jeff Vandermeer. And the plot is that a asteroid has landed somewhere on in sort of it suggests a kind of Florida region of America, and it has caused the surrounding area to change and mutate in a strange alien way. And it's like this little uh, it's referred to as the Shimmer, and whatever goes inside the Shimmer, does doesn't, not does not come out. Does not come out. Uh, related to this is Natalie Paulman is a uh, biologist and before the movie starts her husband played by Oscar Isaacs has gone missing and a year later he turns up and it turns out he went into The Shimmer and uh, he gets very ill and she realizes the only way to save him will be going into The Shimmer <laughs> and she goes along with a sort of it's like a man on a mission uh, movie but with, instead of men women and they include uh, Jennifer Jason Leigh as the sort of ball busting head of the operation Tessa Thompson as a physicist uh, Gina Rodriguez as a sort of cool army bro, and an actress called Tuva, Vinot, Vin- Tuva
1: Novotny. <laughs>
2: Tuva Novotny as a, uh, another member of the team. I not them. She m-
1: is a surveyor and geologist. A surveyor. Yeah, they've all got different. You know, they scientists. They've got they?
2: skills. Skills, and this is uh, yeah, and they go into the shimmer and stuff happens. Here is a clip of uh, Oscar Isaacs r- mysteriously returning home at the beginning of the movie.
0: No one knew anything about your unit. I contacted everyone. Everyone I could. The other partners knew just as little as me. Pakistan again? I, I don't know where it was or what it was. How
1: is that possible? You must be able to tell me something. You vanished off the face of the earth for 12 months.
0: I deserve a better explanation than no explanation. Does it matter?
1: Yeah, so this film, it came out in the in the US and got a theatrical release there. But Paramount were obviously not very, you know, excited about its prospects. And they ended up selling it to Netflix for distribution outside the US. So the suckers in the UK are not able to see this on the big screen. Annihilation has been shrunken down and uh, reduced in file size and made look shitter. But it's very convenient to watch because you just watch on Netflix, you don't have to pay for it. So for humble podcasters, it's very handy. Um, I, I haven't seen uh, x Machina. I remember it coming out. I remember you didn't much care for it. Um, and then you watched this movie before me and said that it was, you know, not all that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I would say my expectations were relatively dampened. Um, I watched it this afternoon, so I haven't had a you know, chance to think deeply about this, and I know it's a very intellectual film with huge, great themes, so I might have just missed all the good shit, and I'm just, you know, too dumb for it, and then tomorrow I'm going to wake up and be like, Garland's a genius, I'm a moron, I have to re-record the podcast, and I'm just going to cause all sorts of trouble for us. Uh, but until, unless that doesn't, assuming that doesn't happen... I was not particularly amazed by it. I thought it was fine. I thought it was kind of okay. It definitely has a certain amount of genre thrills. It's a a kind of genre movie, and it has a central concept uh, with regards to uh, the kind of crazy shit that goes on in The Shimmer as they're uh, wandering around and they're encountering all sorts of odd things. And there's that sci-fi pleasure of just seeing the the creativity um, in, in how they spin out the idea. And they have different encounters and it's like you know it, it is there's, just, there's some interest in seeing all the different ways that he's found to do things and some moments of oddness and he's obviously enjoyed painting all these, all these different like weird moments and stuff that's come out of his like uh, central concept but it is very derivative of other things and it's very hard to watch without being reminded of a million different other things that have obviously influenced him and although it has you know big themes in a kind of uh, superficial way it doesn't seem to be saying that much it's just this kind of uh decoration a garland if you <laughs> if you will uh which you know kind of ties the film together in a in a sort of like i've I've read robert mckee's story type way but it's not really saying something in particular about you know life or existence or yeah. you know it's just it's just all um uh connecting the dots it's just a way to construct a story out of it so it didn't it doesn't it does not feeling particularly impactful and it's rather uh, cliched, I would say, in its dialogue and in certain elements of the story.
2: Yeah, it's very him, I think. I know he's only directed two movies, but he previously wrote 20 Days Later and Sunshine. And he's also written for stuff like Never Let Me Go and uh, the Dread movie. But I think there's two things that sort of categorize his work is that there's definitely this sort of like kind of remix nature to them, where like 28 Days Later is a bit like somebody read Day of the Triffids and watched all the Romero zombie movies and then squash it all together yeah which when the, and it's a very fun zippy movie and i'm like fully on board for all the genre frills but when it starts saying we're all infected with rage or whatever it's like eh. it's not really about that and similarly sunshine is like you know someone watched alien and event horizon in 2001 and doing their own version and this is very similar, and I don't know if my lukewarm reaction to it is partly to the fact that I've just seen the same movies he has. So, like, I've seen Solaris. I've, I've seen Solaris, okay? Mm. I've seen Stalker. I've actually read the book it was based on. And a lot of the ideas uh, sort of just cribbed from that. But it, uh, like you were saying, it, it, it feels kind of thrown together. And I think with these movies, like especially ones that are about or quote unquote hard sci-fi which you usually to do with some sort of alien intelligence there's a certain am- amount of ambiguity that sort of goes with that kind of story like I don't know what the end of 2001 means but I'm happy to sort of go with it um, but I think with those films and like the Tchaikovsky movies and a movie like Under the Skin which is also is sort of s- somewhat influenced by is that you feel you're in safe hands and you feel that like it was made with like a lot of purpose and intellect behind all the decisions whereas this does feel a bit like slightly made up like the sort of na- the concept of like crazy stuff happens in the shimmer just means like well and now a zombie bear will turn up because the plot slowed down yeah and yeah yeah and it ends with a bit of ambiguity where it didn't make me want to go back and like rethink the movie i was just like wow well, okay that passed the time and
1: yeah went down easy and i think there's it's almost like the way that christopher nolan approaches these types of things i mean maybe it feels like a bit of a stretch to compare it to interstellar But I think that's or or even like the end of Inception or something, there's some similarities with that. But it's like, you know, in the way that Christopher Nolan, when he was making Interstellar, was kind of making his like 2001. Absolutely. But 2001 is this, you know, opaque, it is the obelisk. The film is the obelisk. Uh, It's just this like weird um, sort of transcendent experience that defies um, explanation and is deliberately made in such a way uh, that you feel like... It could all mean something, but it just like evokes that like numinous sense that you're, you know, being exposed to the beyond or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the film doesn't explain everything, but it's ambiguous in a way that does enough to convince you that there's a lot. There's something there's a there. meaning to go for. If it's you- like a, it's like it's been made with a kind of spiritual purpose. or that like there's something there's some sort of mysticism to it. And that kind of thing doesn't um, exist at all in Christopher Nolan's style. And so his his version of it is kind of funny because everything is explained, you know, and like it all works. And it's all like a kind of I mean, there's plot holes and stuff, but it's all like you can see how it's all laid it's all out. Constructed it's inside. all constructed. And I think like the, this movie is a similar kind of thing where like the movie is about this like unknowable alien thing that, you know, can't be comprehended by humans and they have to kind of deal with it. But the movie doesn't feel like that attitude at all. It feels like an incredibly human thing that seems very comprehensible, and like, yeah, it doesn't have like this, you know, weird um, thing behind it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I also think that his direction is a little flat, and it just has this sort of tone, which it establishes and just does not vary from for the entire film. Yeah, it's and very so, monotonous in a, in a literal it's, sense. It's kind of interesting because there's like a sort of action sequence right at the start, and it's not shot like an action sequence and it just makes for this like slightly off kilter feeling but you know that is less effective four times more than that you know it works once and then it's like oh it's just this is the only trick the movie has but yeah i mean i think it's just like a fun ride I would, and the production design is really interesting and it's a bit like all the production heads are doing a great job and i think just because of the sort of blank canvas of the world it's like make some crazy shit and they're like yeah. done and, and they've like, done they have done a great job and uh, the special effects by Double Negative who did Ex Machina and Doctor Strange and this British company who were very very good and like all the CGI is like I think are a cut above most stuff you watch like some of the I feel like CGI animals is something that some people can do well and the other movies just like completely suck at and this one had like really good yeah, yeah. photorealistic stuff I know that's a bit of a you know I like I li- the effects and um, they're very good and I think the the characters are a little bland but the actors are all very charismatic and it is cool that they're all women and it's cool how that's not really re- there's like one line that remarks upon it and then it's just like not a thing it's like, it's cool how it's not a thing yeah no, no no sense.
1: no i agree yeah i mean they, the movie would work the same with gender swapping basically
2: absolutely and uh yeah so i thought it was just fine
1: it's just fine it's just fine yeah it's, I mean, it's very Netflix-y in that way, almost. almost makes sense that they bought it. So it's like another thing that makes for a good trailer and doesn't provoke a strong reaction. Yeah,
2: but a bit more slickly made than...
1: Yes, I agree. More, like, better made than Mute, than a film they actually funded. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're going to hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. Let's <laughs> Review. Shared between two podcast brothers, Do or do they interrupt each are in so
0: let
1: the begin talking now. so you were never really here this is the uh, film by Lynn Ramsey she last made we need to talk about Kevin and that was quite a long time ago she's back with another kind of wordy title where you can put the emphasis on uh, different individual words in it depending on how you feel like you want to pronounce it um she almost made uh, jane got a gun right yeah and then, and then walked
2: away like two days before production was supposed to start or something
1: yeah because she you know it was not given away and then they turned it into some like i well i sort of have the impression that she was going to make some incredible like you know arty action thriller film like she's now made um and instead they, they uh, she left and then they turned it into a generic movie that flopped um and anyway so it's really great it's really great that she's been able to make a film presumably to her own specifications when you talk about Kevin was brilliant. it's also a very rare example of a film that's better than the novel that it's based on. Um, and this is also based on a novel, a uh, book of the same name by Jonathan Ames. And uh, Joaquin Phoenix is the star and he plays a guy called Joe, who's a former FBI agent who's got post-traumatic stress disorder and now um, Moonlight's as a kind of hitman or hide gun or, you know, uh, criminal soldier of fortune. fixer, soldier of fortune type. Um, and he lives with his extremely elderly mother. Um, it really struck me in the movie how old that woman is. And uh, he is hired early on in the movie to rescue a senator's daughter who has gone missing and is, you know, holed up in a house of ill repute. Um, And he has to go and sort that out and, you know, enters the underworld and shit spirals from there. Here is a clip of him meeting the senator as he explains the mission he wants him to go on.
0: 235 East 31st Street. That's what the text said. You have kids, Joe? No. Nina. Her name is Nina. I've heard of these places. (sighs) Underage girls. Senator, if she's there, I'll get her. Cleary said you were brutal. I can be.
2: It's quite funny because from that plot description, it implies some sort of like Taken Four or something. Yeah, it's the most like generic sounding plot. It could be like a Sin City thing. And what's so kind of thrilling about the movie is the way it completely subverts any expectation you have of the genre.
1: It does, Not- but it yeah, but it also kind of delivers.
2: It, does it delivers the, on the genre thrills. It, yeah, and it does yeah. deliver on the genre thrills, but in very unconventional ways. Yeah, absolutely, like the, yeah. The way the action is shot just gets more and more unconventional as the movie goes <laughs> it on. It does, that's true. Uh, in a way that's kind of brilliant. Yeah, I read a, a good sort of pithy summation of the film. It's like, like, it's a hitman movie more focused on the man than the hit. And it's actually this kind of first-person character piece about an extremely depressed suicidal man. I mean, I think the first shot is him trying to commit suicide. And... I thought it was amazing. I watched it at London Film Festival. It's
1: really good. I thought it was excellent as well.
2: And uh, it's such a... If you're familiar with Lynn Ramsey's style, if you've seen... We need to talk about Kevin or her previous other movies, Morven Color* and Ratcatcher. They all have this distinctly her thing of just like a collection of images. Very impressionistic. Hard to put into words, but good as cinema. Where like, you know, all these little images form uh, a sort of character. Well,
1: does, does she does sense? she have a background as an artist or something? Because like, there's something about... The, the fascination with image and especially with objects and like extreme close-ups of little things like hair and yeah. you know just shit on desks and all this random <laughs> stuff um which suggests like all these things were intended to be photographs that are hung in a gallery um but i think that, that what's so brilliant about her style is the way that this does not f- it really doesn't feel like it's just, you know, I'm more interested in, uh, like, pictures than people or, or I'm more interested in people than stories or something like that. Like, it all is in service of the story. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's very, very compelling. It's not just, like, because it also, you know, in a way that the story sounds pulpy, you describe her style and it sounds pretentious, but it doesn't feel that way at all.
2: No, yeah, not at all. And it's also, I feel like, well, she's only made four films, but it's almost like her style taken the nth degree in that uh, it's, like, pared down to, like, the bone the movie in terms of it's only 90 minutes and it's a bit like uh you know a picture paints a thousand words but it's like 10 frames paints (laughs) a 20 minute flashback (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 uh the way it sort of flashes you know flashbacks can be so cheesy but it has like these tiny little stabs of like memories that are incredibly effective and it's had it's got like plot wise the comparisons you can make with taxi driver and i think it is I mean, I haven't seen that many movies that do this, but, like, since t- I don't know how many first-person movies there have been of note since Taxi Driver, but I feel it's kind of, like, up there in, like, a portrait of one man's sort of descent into hell and then descent out of it. Descent out?
1: Ascent? Ascent from hell? No. Dig up, you idiot. Uh, yeah. Um,
2: Yeah, and I've... And uh, holding all together is... Joaquin is like, totally
1: mesmerizing performance. It's great. I love this guy. I mean... He is he's he's giving it absolutely everything. Um, it is a very full on performance. He's quivering with some kind of intense emotion every second that he's on screen basically. He's never relaxed, he's always about to like cry or laugh or scream or like beat someone <laughs> to death. Um and uh it's very compelling to watch. I mean it's like it's mega acting, you know, it's like Nicolas Cage type, sort of super acting. Yeah. But it's great stuff.
2: And I feel like it's the character which is the best sort of vehicle for his thing as an actor because to be very reductive he can you know he can be the lead in her as a sort of sweet computer guy and he can be like the insane guy from the master and it like his character in the movie in a way kind of oscillates between like moments of like savage brutality and like real like tenderness yeah yeah, like his relationship with his mom is like very sweetly sketched out and like she must have like you know what well the whole movie is so pared down. She must have like you know minute, like ten minutes of screen time if that. And you get this whole sense of a relationship. There's a yeah, bit where they're absolutely. just like cleaning cutlery and it's like adorable. And they're singing and, together and singing and then yeah. he smash a guy's skull in. Like. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think there's a very uh Lynn Ramsey. Uh, I think like a sort of Lim Ramsey thing. If you can like you know she's made four movies, so we can call it a hallmark. Is just like this real affection for her characters. Mm. And there's so much like empathy towards joe is this damaged human being it's very palpable no that's something else that kind of like throws you off guard i mean this like cold-blooded man who's haunted by his ghost but it's just like seems to have genuine concern for his well-being yeah
1: absolutely i mean that's that's a big part of what makes the movie so good uh is that it's it is the cliche really of the guy the hitman with the damaged past or whatever which you've sort of seen like a million times or any like kind of noirish film it's the same kind of shit or even like a story about like a Grizzled old person who'd given up on themselves, you know, it's like Logan, isn't it? Yeah, finding that like they're brought back to humanity by like a child who they have to protect, and that's massively cliché. but it's definitely like it's it's what you say, like the force of her um interest in, in him as a person. And she obviously cares about you feel like she cares about him so much, um, and she's much more interested in his like you know psychology than she is in the in the violence, although it is quite well executed, yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's fun, like it is a fun movie. It's not like the violence happens in the background but the tears happen, you know, ultra close up, but
2: Yeah, I think she's just one of those directors where she's got such a her style is so interesting that you just I'd love to see a Lynn Ramsey sci fi movie. I want to see a Lynn Ramsey, you know, rom com. I want to, you know, like she just she's like a genre unto herself and seeing her sort of like flex her muscles and like this I know, low rent Hitman movie is awesome.
1: The the other thing that's uh that she's really good at is just um uh, she's it's very evocative and very very moody and we need to talk about kevin i haven't seen her, her previous two movies uh but it, i've seen but in that movie the whole movie is like suffused with dread oh my god and she manages to wring like extraordinary amounts of dread out of the most like quotidian stuff like you know just toast that's been dropped on the floor or something and you're like oh my god that's the most <laughs> evil thing i've ever seen was just like a shot of a baby glaring at you and it's like that baby's gonna fucking kill someone so it's, it's horrifying. It's like the baby from The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the Monobrow baby from The Simpsons. Uh, but she's she's so she's such an evocative filmmaker, and, it, and it's the same thing in this movie. But it's like the movie is so suffused with this like potential threat of violence all the time, and even though it's not very violent in terms of the actual stuff that you see happen on screen, um, it just feels like it is because yeah. it's constantly hanging over the film. Well kinda it's like his inner conflict in into it. His head. Yeah. Like, yeah, absolutely.
2: I don't know, like I just had no idea what he was gonna do next. <laughs> <laughs> well
1: it's like it's not it's not just so much that uh you feel like you're in his shoes or whatever, but you feel like the whole world is a representation of his psyche. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's it's brilliantly done.
2: Yeah. I think and like key to that is like Johnny Greenwood's score. Another another A star score from Greenwood in a matter of months. Robbed by Des Blad of the Oscars. And, uh, yeah, his sort of weird, synthy, throw a chair at a dog, um, <laughs> you know, play that sound backwards, <laughs> put some guitars over it. I don't know how he does it, but I feel like everyone tries to do a sort of Johnny Greenwood score. It's become very in vogue. This one kind of slightly, you know, unconventional instruments, whatever. But he's still just like, I don't know, knocked out of the park.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Annihilation was, was like... a bit, had a bit of that. Yeah, so A bit like the Mika Levy score from Under the Skin, actually, as well.
2: Yeah, exactly, both of them. I think they're, like, the proper ones, and everyone's trying to do a bit, like... You know, the yeah. crazy, multi-instrumentalist pop star sort of thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's excellent. Also, I mean, because you mentioned the flashbacks, just made me realise, like, how much better the flashbacks are and You were never, you were never Really Here than they are in on our Ocean. Yeah. It's like, that movie's got long, boring flashbacks. They're full scenes where they talk about nothing. And this movie is just these little... Impressionistic glimpses, and you have to kind of piece together after the fact. It's actually kind of fun coming out of the movie and being like, "So what?" Is, you know? Yeah, it's a <laughs> you film that kind of that... gives you enough information to kind of figure out what exactly had happened in his past, and you kind of.
2: Yeah, I've well, I've seen it twice, and it re- rewarded repeat viewings precisely for that matter. I would say, like, to give a little puffy, puffy, a little puffy, something? make it, make it puffy. I make it puffy. Shall I <laughs> like. uh, it's such like an assault on the senses. There's so little information you have to piece together that it is a bit like you've watched. A four-hour movie that's been condensed into ninety minutes. Yeah, and it's like it's been blasted at you, and then, and that is somewhat a unique experience. It's so cinematic. Yeah, I don't know. It's based on a book, but the book would, I imagine, sucks compared to this movie. Like oh, that's, that's a thing. That's a thing. Yeah, taking okay source material and just elevating it to the realms of superb cinema. <laughs> yeah, I think it's my favorite movie I've seen released this year. So, if you place any stock, in my opinion, I would urge you to seek it out. Stop listening now. Stop now. Stop now. Go to your local multiplex. Go there immediately. Demand, demand they put it on. Put it on. I don't care when you listen to this. You might be listening to this in the year 2065.
1: <laughs> Get a print. Watch it now. Watch it now. When Zach Graff heard something that changed his life, what he listened to... And when
0: John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to?
1: And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he
0: dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawjak that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah.
2: So Sam, if I know you're a massive nerd, look at you there in your Spider-Man pajamas, mm-hmm. and your room is adorned with all your favorite Marvel films, That's which are correct. all the films, yes. uh, all the posters from all the films. I do have all the posters from all your the films. your Gmail account is Dr.
1: Strange rocks uh, at gmail.com.
2: So I assume you've seen the latest <laughs> Avengers Infinity
1: Wars trailer. You know what, Danny, I have not seen the latest oh Avengers Infinity Wars trailer. Oh my which, god,
2: uh, it's... Just uh, exactly the same as the
1: previous one, is what you'd imagine. Well, that's all you want when you go to see the Marvel.
0: There's films. some more
2: quips. Star Lord has mm. a little bance oh, with good. Iron Man. Uh-huh. And finally the two uh, quippiest characters get to meet. Peter Parker has a bit of bants with Doctor Strange. Very good. And there's a bit where Thanos is like like punching like uh, Captain America, he's just like holding his fist back with his crazy serum strength.
0: Nice, even though it's he's like the like, a helicopter god. thing from yeah. the
1: Civil War.
2: And uh, yeah, seems a lot of it's set in Wakanda. It's a good thing they made that movie, Black Panther, or like Wouldn't good thing it. that was a hit because there's a lot of Wakanda in it. By the looks of things,
1: yeah, they would have had to have drastically changed the film if the movie had flopped. Yeah. They're like, oh no, it's actually set in uh, France.
2: Uh. <laughs> uh, yeah uh
1: <laughs> wow brilliant man i can't i wait. mean i'll
2: see it i'll see it probably look like,
1: well probably of course you're gonna see it yeah but i'm
2: see it. i'm gonna watch all the 17 Marvel films beforehand oh yeah let's do a marathon, marathon. let's marathon it my favorite was actually the incredible hulk so get that in early i got it on dvd sweet so uh, my
1: sister's got four on dvd okay well maybe we call all our friends <laughs> Each <laughs> will have one of the films and we can piece together at the full marathon. Awesome. Can't wait. Me neither, man. All right, uh, let's stop recording this podcast because I've got to watch that trailer. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Okay, cool. All right. Thanks for listening, okay. Uh, friends.
2: Okay, thanks, friends. Bye. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Bye. See you next time.
2: Okay, Sam's this watching is, the trailer This is very live. popular, isn't it? Yeah.
1: On YouTube to do this. Seven hours ago. All right, here we go. Okay, watching it now. So, <laughs> the city is city is rotating and stuff. Another, do they have another split voiceover like in the first one? No, just Scarjay, just Scarjay so far. Is that Scarjay? I oh, know it's not. It's uh, Zoe Saldana. name again. There he is. <laughs> we got one advantage. He's coming to us. Okay, they they've gotta fight Thanos. That's uh, that's being set up.
0: Wants, so that's what we use.
1: Wow. Chris Evans is going for it, isn't he? It's the Avengers, yeah, it's the Avengers.
0: Let's talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow.
1: There's the bands. You told me that there would be some bands.
0: The end is near. Wow! What? Oh my god! <laughs> no. Oh, there was all the actors. Wow! Oh, I'm losing my
1: mind. Oh, YouTube's gonna love this. What should we do? This? I'm filming this as well. Oh, god! Thanos is uh, is gonna destroy the earth. Oh, this is terrible. But the the heroes are there, and they look great. They love it. Whoa! Hey! Yes! Woo! woo Oh, yeah! Oh,
0: wow! Oh, boy! Good God! What a film! What a trailer! What a time to be alive! Peter by the way thoughts are strange oh I'm using your made up names then I am Spider-Man. head over to Hulu this March where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long catch the acclaimed movie all of us strangers starring Paul Muscal and Andrew Scott